Hey, everybody, we're back here on One on One, New York's longest running sports call in show. It's Dylan Balsamo here again, along with my friend, our producer for the day, Mr. Alex Wolves. And we are joined by a special guest today. We've been talking about the Mets a little bit. We're going to talk about them a little more. And who better to talk to him with? With a broadcaster for both the Buffalo Bison and the Trenton Thunder, oddly enough. Who knows how he pulls that off? We're going to ask him about it. He's also filled in on New York Mets broadcasts on CBS Radio, filling in along with Ed Coleman talking with Rain, Wayne Randazzo on Friday and Saturday during their Padres series. He's also a former Marty Glickman Award winner at this very institution, at this very radio station. This is Greg Caserta. Hi there, Greg. Well, guys, it's been great. Thanks for the intro. I'll talk to you in a couple of months. And uh, honestly, the fact, that you, the fact that you started with special guests, I don't know if I've ever gotten that before. Um, yeah, I, I graduated, believe it or not in 2010 that was the year i won the glickman award so anytime i get to come back on and uh, talk with you guys it's great uh, this is our first time seeing each other so uh, i'm always excited to uh, contribute to the cause obviously you guys have, know how much i love wfuv and what it meant to me so uh, it is great to be with you today oh we're we're glad to have you here and it's and it's excellent to meet you so well, let's start off with this first question here because we we mentioned it a little bit before we started recording this you are currently calling games for both the Trenton Thunder and the Buffalo Bison. Now, I'm no travel expert, but those places are rather far away from each other. Can you explain to us how that works? All right. So here's what we got. So it was back in, I guess it was early April, and talks were ongoing between Trenton and Buffalo, simply because the Canadian border has been restricted to reopen because of COVID. In particular, in Ontario, Toronto is getting hit harder than any other city. And so the Blue Jays knew that they were not going to be returning to Toronto, at least for the early portion of the season. So what they did was they were going to stay down in Dunedin, open up the season at the team spring training facility. And then come June 1st, they were going to relocate to Salem Field in Buffalo, which is where their AAA team is located. For the second straight year, the Toronto Blue Jays would be playing in Buffalo this year, with a minor league season, the AAA Buffalo Bisons needed a home, and the Trenton Thunder had that home. So while they're on the air at home, I call them the Trenton Thunder because of licensing and things like that. When I write my game notes and my game recaps, it has to say Buffalo Bisons. Um, and I'm making it a little more confusing here on Zoom because I've got a Thunder Roll or a Thunder Pork Roll hat and a Bisons workout shirt. So we've all kind of embraced it. Uh, the two front offices have been great working with each other. My relationships with the people up in Buffalo, the media relations and broadcasters uh, has been terrific. And yes, while it's not a traditional partnership, it's one that has been very nice so far in 2021. And then let me ask, how has the minor league season been like calling it for you so far? Obviously, last year, the minor leagues were a bit of a casualty of the pandemic and now getting fans back and the season back. What's that experience been like so far? It was like we never left. Obviously, the, the thing that really stinks, guys, is that because of certain restrictions with tier one employees, I am not supposed to be down in the clubhouse, which for me is one of the best places to be. I can't be in the clubhouse. I can't be on the field during BP. That is the best prep time for me. And it also allows me to get a chance to know our players and our coaches. So the fact that I haven't been able to do that, I've had to learn these guys and get to know them from afar, which can be frustrating. Uh, but in terms of the overall fan experience, I mean, Trenton Thunder Ballpark now because of New Jersey is completely reopened. We're at full capacity. Masks are optional. 
Um, I think people are still a little hesitant to make their way out into public places. I just think that a lot of people got trained to stay home and have their guard up at all times. But um, yeah, it's been great. Uh, obviously, having a year off, it makes you appreciate these things a little bit more. And the only drag I think this year is the six game series. I, I think that by game four, five and six, you get sick of seeing the same team. I think the players get sick of seeing each other and the managers get sick of the same umpiring crew. So I'm not a huge fan of the six game series, uh, but I do like having every Monday off. So that's been a plus. That adjustment is rather difficult. Again, we're here with Greg Caserta here on one-on-one -on -one New York's longest running sports call-in show on WFUV. Now, speaking of adjustments, uh, you know, we talk a lot about um, the adjustment that ball players have to make jumping from the minors to the majors, but we never talk about that with broadcasters. And it's something you had to uh, do basically this past weekend calling games uh, for the Mets radio broadcast when they were in San Diego filling in for Howie Rose for a little while. So let me ask you, what was that adjustment like for you? Well, the big thing was obviously, guys, them being in San Diego, I had to call the games off the monitors at City Field. And I had a kind of jaded view of that going in. I did not think it was going to be a pleasurable experience. I knew that certain broadcast crews had complained about some of the logistics of it. There are some technical difficulties that pop up from time to time with video and audio feed not corresponding. But to be honest with you, I loved it. I, I felt like I was in my living room watching a game. So for me, that was great. Um, charting pitches was made easier because you're watching the center field cam instead of being behind home plate. Um, but then when you think about the larger scope, you got to realize that it's no different. It's the same game. I, I've done several hundred minor league games. This one was no different. Obviously, the stakes are raised. A lot more people are listening. And on Friday night, I saw Blake Snell. Saturday night, I saw Jacob deGrom. So the names are a lot higher profile. But in terms of the nuts and bolts, it's no different. And by the time I got into first pitch on Friday night in that first game, I felt very comfortable and uh, I, I couldn't have been happier with the way it went. And then I think for you specifically, obviously, you we talk a lot in broadcasting about the importance of working your way through the minor league ranks is where a lot of broadcasters start. And, you know, everybody kind of has a different beginning, but that was a lot of it for you was calling a lot of minor league games, working your way up. So just how fulfilling is it for you starting kind of at the one point in the minors, the lowest level and getting all the way up to calling a major league game? It's the ultimate dream. I mean, it's everything I've been working for. This is something that started, you know, it's easy to say, well, it started in 2011, my first summer doing a minor league baseball game, but it was 2011 in a collegiate league. 2012, I was in independent baseball. So my first year in affiliated wasn't until 2013. And at one point I lived in six states in seven years. So there was a lot of traveling. There were sacrifices that were made with uh, family and friends. Uh, my now fiance has been with me from the beginning, but if you go back even further, uh, if you want to call it the journey, and I really don't like when people say that, but I guess it, it is that, it started in 2006, my freshman year. So it's a culmination of a lot of hard work. It's the culmination of a lot of dark days um, when, when you feel like giving up and rolling over and you just continue to get yourself off the mat. It, it was rewarding for me and my family. Um, when, it, when I told my parents that it happened, I broke down on the phone. Um, I, I thought about a, a lot of the a lot of the dark thoughts, especially this past year plus when, when nobody really had anything positive happen. Um, and if you had had this conversation with me back on March 11th, I, I was a guy that felt like he was dead in the water and he was drowning. Now on June 11th, um, I, you know, right now I still feel on top of the world. So it, it's amazing how things can change. 
Uh, but it, it, it took a long way to get here. Absolutely. Again, we're joined by Greg Caserta here on one-on-one New York's longest running sports call-in show. Now, Greg, uh, let's talk a little bit about this Mets team because, you know, we've talked a lot on our, our one-on-one episodes these past couple of weeks about trying to figure out how this Mets team is in first place. And we decided that it's a certain, there's a certain spirit of this team that is, that cannot be described by any statistic. Um, that is leading them to this success. Um, what, what do you think that is? I think you got to start with Luis Rojas. I think that for a lot of the criticism that he received last year in the shortened season, and of course the circumstances in which he inherited the job were not ideal, I think he's kept a really level head. And when you look at the injuries that this team has dealt with, uh, and you're talking huge names in the lineup. You're talking Carrasco. You're talking Syndergaard getting delayed in his return from Tommy John's surgery. There are days when you look at that lineup and you go, are you, are you kidding? Like that, you're, you're rolling out with that. You know, it's a 4A lineup. And, you know, what also helps them is the fact that the National League East this year has been very, very underwhelming. I think the Phillies kind of have been playing to expectations. The Braves are the biggest surprise. They might be the biggest disappointment in baseball this year, along with the Twins. So it's opened the door for them. Um, but I, you know, I think this group has done an unbelievable job bringing guys in. You think about Peraza and guys like that. Billy McKinney, who started the season in Syracuse and is now getting regular at bats. Um, listen, when you have the best pitcher in baseball, that certainly sets the tone, but you're only getting him every fifth day. So I, I give the, the group a lot of credit because, uh, it hasn't been the easiest situation dealing with all these mounting injuries. And yet here they are a first place team on June 11th. You talk about them having the best pitcher in baseball. So let's put DeGrom's season in perspective a little bit. Jacob DeGrom, obviously the incredible 0.62 ERA. He's been unhittable the whole year. And, and all these conversations about substances and this, that. And the next thing, he's been on top of all of that, just going out there and pitching and doing an incredible job. I mean, what do you make of what you've seen from DeGrom and how it compares to other great seasons of pitching that, that you've seen before? So during Saturday night's game, when he was getting into the seventh inning, he could have easily come out for the eighth. He was at 85 pitches. At that point, he had struck out 11. And what I noticed on Twitter was Jeff Passan sent out a tweet. And I guess it was towards the end of the game and then right when the game ended. He compared DeGrom's season this year, and it's still very early, to Pedro Martinez's 2000 and Bob Gibson's 1968. Statistically, two of the best seasons ever accumulated by any pitcher. And when you look at the numbers, DeGrom's are better. Um, And and you're talking about two Hall of Famers and two legends. So um, it's ridiculous. And I think when you watch him, it's almost like you kind of know the pattern. It's like, all right, first time through the lineup, we're going fastball. Then second time through, we'll incorporate the slider. Third time through, we'll start adding the change up. And then I think once every 10 starts, he drops in a curveball just to have some fun. Um, you guys, I'm sure follow pitching ninja on Twitter, Rob, uh, Rob Friedman. He does an unbelievable job. And if you watch him, I'm not a huge fan of pitch overlays. I know a lot of guys like it, but I love watching the Groms because if you watch him, the delivery is repeatable and it is identical every single time. And the only other guy I could think of in recent memory who did that was Mariano Rivera. Of course, he was doing it as a closer, basically one inning and done. DeGrom's doing it over the course of routinely six to eight innings. And uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. I said on the air the other night and, and I stand by it. He is playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers because there are so many great pitchers in the game right now. And yet somehow he is a class above them. 
I believe it's officially one curveball he's thrown this this whole season. If I if I'm not mistaken, uh, but he I, might have even he might have even snapped off one more um, against the Padres. But uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's just having fun, guys. It's it, it's so interesting. Again, we're here with Greg Caserta on on WFUV. Now, um, Greg, we we mentioned a little bit um, about this this ball doctoring issue we're seeing in baseball right now. Um, for one thing, it's no secret Major League Baseball did something to the ball before the season started. Um, and now they're, they're looking to crack down on pitchers doctoring balls in some way. And obviously people have different opinions on this. We've seen Josh Donaldson be very vocal about things. We've seen Pete Alonso this week be very vocal about things. So what is, what, is your, what is your opinion on this? Is Major League Baseball going about this the right way? Should they be addressing it at all? What is the issue here? How do I say this without burning a bridge somewhere um because you know now that i've gotten into the fold just a little bit i want to stay there um (laughs) it guys it's a very dicey situation right like it's been this this big unspoken secret this thing that has been going on in plain sight for years and all it took was for cardinals manager mike schilt to have an outburst about it a couple of weeks ago and kind of blow the roof off of it and now you're seeing Cole in that awkward press conference dodge the question. Uh, you're seeing Donaldson have these numbers. Like, you know, I looked at the, the spin rates and they've been down. Uh, and then you got Alonzo kind of going the opposite way and kind of going the, uh, the conspiracy theorist route of, oh, I, I like this. I, you know, I want guys to get a grip because I don't want to wear 99 in the face. You saw what happened to Kevin Pillar a few weeks ago. So I, I you know, I, it's, it's a very tricky situation. I want to see a clean game. Um, I, I just think that the way it was handled, uh, it's just another PR blemish for major league baseball. If you want to call it that, the fact that now they're cracking down on it because offense is down and uh, you know, pitchers are dominating this year with fastballs in the upper nineties and breaking stuff that you see sometimes just veers off into the batter's box um you know i just it's not as terrible as the steroid era i I don't think it's that awful but in terms of how it was handled you know i I don't think it was done the right way i I still think that players should be policing the game and uh, i i think it's still going to exist i'm just curious to see what happens now when somebody gets their hand caught in the cookie jar what that type of punishment is going to entail uh, my question for you, I guess I'm kind of curious, is this a, you think it's just a baseball, major league baseball issue? Or is it also something that you see in the minors as well? Not to be on the spot here, but just curious, like how much of a widespread issue is it that the MLB can address? I talked to one of our players about this two nights ago, because I was curious myself because, uh, you know, calling a game from a booth, you're focusing on a million different things. You're not keying in on the pitcher and whether he goes to the brim of his hat or whether he goes into his palm um what one of our players told me is very interesting he said yeah it happens here it's not as commonplace Um, but he said that one thing that he notices when he feels that a guy is doing something uh a little suspect on the mound is he said that the ball actually makes a sound when it comes out it basically has a snap when it comes out of the guy's hand um so that's something that kind of tips him off you know I, i think that some guys you know they're really not that secretive about it you know anytime i was told that a guy is going into the into the mitt um, where it feels like or he's trying to make it appear like he's fiddling around with the baseball or getting a grip on the baseball. If he's doing that one too many times, chances are something's going on. So it, it does exist at the minor league level, obviously. I just don't think it's as rampant down here as it is in the majors. 
again here with Greg Caserta on one-on-one. Just really one more question for you. And while we're on the topic of the minor leagues, something we mentioned earlier was how um, all of minor league baseball lost its entire season to COVID last year. And now they're, they're finally able to get back into the swing of things. It was really the, the league that was affected the most by COVID. So um, this adjustment back into as close to normal as things can get for minor leaguers, uh, from your perspective, what has that been like for the players? And again, what has that been like for you? Well, I think when you look at losing a season, which I kind of knew when they canceled spring training, when I was at Newark Airport back in March of last year, I was getting ready to fly down to announce a Phillies Orioles spring training game. And I was two hours before my flight. I'm, I'm having a beverage before I get on the plane and they cancel spring training. And I go, oh boy, that's not good. Like, ugh. So I came home from the airport and I knew that our season was in a lot of trouble. I kind of held out hope thinking that, all right, maybe it'll be June 1st, maybe it'll be July 4th. And then as you got further along, you realize that it wasn't happening. You also got to realize guys that after the 2019 season, that there was that big change where major league baseball assumed operations of the minor leagues and 40 teams lost their affiliations. There was that cut line and you had 160 teams go to 120. They eliminated the short season teams. They've added these MLB draft leagues and these college leagues. And so what stinks about it is that, yeah, a lot of teams are back to business as normal. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of cities that, yeah, they look at it as, all right, 2020 was lost, but we're back in 2021. Um, There are a lot of cousins in that family that didn't make it through. Um, so, So not to be symbolic, like, oh, you know, COVID killed a lot of minor league teams, but there are teams that didn't make it out of there. So, you know, I feel for the employees of those teams um, that had to up and pick up and move on, uh, not just people in the front office, but you're talking about game day workers, people that work in the parking lots and people that work in the concession stands. Um, you feel for the communities that, that bank on that, the fans that love going. A lot of times that's the centerpiece to their summer. Um, so yeah, it's for a lot of us, it's, we're back and we're doing our thing, but there are a lot of teams that aren't back. And, uh, I feel for them because they were part of that big giant dysfunctional family that spans the entire country. Um, I think that minor league baseball now is, is totally in a different phase. It's not what it was before, but I think as time goes on, I think that, uh, it'll get back to what it once was just with, uh, not as many teams. Understood. Greg, before we let you go, just want to very quickly say Alex and I are both North Jersey guys. So I think we can both agree. That's actually Taylor Ham. <laughs> you know it. Listen, I can't say this to my coworkers, but um, you, you know my thoughts on this. I got roasted for saying Taylor Ham on our first homestand. I love the hat, but now, I, you know, when I'm down there, I got to placate to everybody. So when I go, I guess, into the 908 area code or whatever it is, I, I drop the Taylor Ham with pork roll. But as soon as I'm out of that ballpark, we, we all know what it is. Come on, guys. Un- understood. We agree up here in the 201 as well. <laughs> yeah, no, but do that. Please keep your job. And please come uh, back and join us again sometime. We really appreciate you coming. Guys, and seriously, anytime you want, it, it doesn't have to be uh, anything like this. I, you, you know how much I love talking with you guys. And uh, whenever you need help, uh, not just here with the uh, the show, but if you just want to reach out, please do. That's the kind of mentality that wins you the Glickman Award, I guess mm-hmm. one might say. That's Greg Caserta here on One on One here on WFUV and all of our affiliates. We're going to be back with a little more of this show on the other side of this break, so stick around.